this morning. Some of you maybe um, are experiencing some element of turmoil or distress or disquiet or uncertainty. Maybe some of you have had somewhat of an experience of that in the last week or so. Or maybe that is soon upon you. I wonder what longings you have for peace. Uh, Maybe it's not an acute sense, but maybe there are some themes in your life where you you wish there was um, a freedom of anxiety and peace in your life. So often peace is very elusive to us. And this psalm that we'll be meditating on this morning gives us a beautiful picture of, of what peace is, and it guides us to how we might experience that kind of peace in our lives, a peace that surpasses all understanding. So if you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 131, and we will read this song, it's a song of ascents, it's in this grouping of psalms called the Song of Ascents, and it's written by King David. Psalm 131, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth. And forevermore. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, as we attend to this psalm this morning, I pray that you would help us in our understanding of the things that you have for us here. How we long for an enduring peace. How many things threaten our sense of peace. So I pray, O Father, that you would be kind to us today. You would help us to learn and understand that we might, in a more profound way, taste of the ministry of peace through the Spirit of Christ. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as we look at this psalm, I want to begin by reflecting on the anguish behind the psalm. We might say, what's the soul context? What's the condition of David um, before this psalm? And he's not explicit, but clearly he reveals something of what was at work in his life. Well, we know it was a psalm of David, so written by King David some 3,000 years ago. We don't know the specific context. Um, what, what exactly was happening in his life as king, uh, relationally or historically with other um, issues of politics in the kingdom? We don't know. Uh, we don't know all that was at work, but we do know something of the state of his soul that provoked the writing of this psalm. If you look at verse 2, um, if we read the implications of what he's saying, He's saying, I have calmed and quieted my soul. He has calmed and quieted his soul. 
The implication is, before he calmed and quieted his soul, his soul was not calm and quiet. So what's the, we might say, the emotional context? Um, The absence of tranquility, of quietness, of peace. I wonder, as you're sitting here this morning, what words would you put in? What emotions would you use to express what is the absence of calmness and tranquility and peace? Maybe words like turmoil or the churning of emotion. Maybe you might say that your hearts are noisy, static, or that your mind is restless. What are the experiences? You have trouble going to sleep, as it were, you can't shut the whir of your mind down. It's like it's a force that sleep cannot overcome. It's not merely intellectual. Our hearts are in turmoil. We feel as though we're held captive by these emotions of anxiety, of worry, of fear, of dread. Even in our language, we might say um, our hearts are captured by dread or caught in fear. We feel it in our stomach, or some of us do. Others of you might feel it somewhere else. Maybe your chest gets tightened. Maybe you lose your appetite. Maybe you sigh deeply or groan within yourself. It can feel like a fog descends over your life. And everything seems a little less clear, particular, specific. And the experience feels dominating. We feel helpless. It feels like we're in the grips of fear. It's got us. It's trapped us in this anxiety So David here, he's experiencing the absence of tranquility, the absence of peace and calm. He's experiencing turmoil, anxiety, distress. And he understands the reason for that distress. As we look at verse 1, we see here that David understands that he is not helpless And he understands something of the cause of the distress. If you don't understand the cause of your distress, you don't know the path to calmness and quietness and peace. So we see here that our Heavenly Father has wisely given us um, some guidance here. He shows us that pride is the obstacle to peace. I forgot to put uh, an outline up for the projector, but if you have your smartphones, it's on the church app if you want to follow the basic structure uh, of, of, this, of the message. So the point, that pride is the obstacle to peace. Again, I'm reading verse 1 here, and I'm reading the implications. What's, what's behind what we see here in verse 1? Verse 1 here, we see David indicates that pride was the obstacle to peace. And that renunciation of pride was the path to peace. So, first of all, I just want to spend some time thinking about how pride is the obstacle to peace. If we're going to understand the true nature of pride, we have to see it and understand it 
as it is in reference to God. And that's where the psalm begins. O Lord. And as soon as David expresses that ultimate reference of his life, O Lord, there's a context for understanding the true nature of what pride is. Pride is an expression of unbelief. It's a hope in self rather than a hope in God. It has self as the ultimate referent instead of God as the ultimate referent. And, and the psalmist emphasizes this, um, this the, the, the deadly nature of pride as he renounces pride with these three statements, three strong statements with not. So if you look here in verse 1, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised. I do not occupy myself. So right now, I just want us to think about what is the nature of pride that ought not to be? What is this nature of pride that we see here? Well, we see a progression. There's a in the first phrase, a reflection of an internal, an attitude. Then there's a, a reflection of how pride is manifested in our countenance and how that impacts relationship. And then there's an expression that speaks of pride in our activity. So let's look at those three phrases here. Firstly, my heart is not lifted up. So what is the nature of pride here? The nature of pride is our hearts being lifted up. Is this inward attitude where pride elevates our estimation of ourselves. Picturesque language, right? Our hearts are not lifted up in superiority, in greatness. We lift up that thing we prize and we have confidence in. We have more confidence in ourselves than is warranted. When our hearts are lifted up, that's what's happening. And our sinful inclination, and this is the twisted nature of sin, our our sinful inclination is that what's required in our anxiety is more self-confidence. That's the message of the world. Trust in yourself. Rely on yourself. But that will actually make anxiety worse. We're not sufficient of ourselves. There's no warrant for lifting our hearts up when you think about yourselves in reference to God. Consider some questions. Do you have the wisdom to know what is best for your life? In order to answer that question, you have to know everything. And none of us know everything. Do we have the knowledge of all the factors in the present and the details of the future? Of course not, because we don't know everything. Do we have the power to control the actions of others? No. Do we have the power to control the future? We don't. Do we even have the power to sustain our own lives? We don't. I remember an instance, I was feeling good about life in our old house, pulling out of our lane, nearly had an accident. And I thought, I thought today was going to be a great day. And I'm just reminded, I have no idea about today. We don't know the future. There is no warrant 
for lifting our hearts up in pride in this place of prominence and superiority. We are created by God. We are creatures. We are not God. God sustains our life. We don't sustain our own life. And so we go through life and we experience God-intended limitations. And we rebel against those limitations. Who loves not knowing the future? Who loves not being the most strong, wise person out there? We all grate against limitations, don't we? And that grating against limitations is just a, a hint of how quickly our hearts lean towards being lifted up. We long. We long for that place of knowledge and superiority and greatness. We long to be God. And when we long to be God, we will find anxiety and we will not find peace. Proverbs 16.5 speaks to the sin of pride. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Why the strength there? Because that heart pride is, I am great, greater than God. So firstly, the nature of pride, our hearts are lifted up. But then David says, my eyes are not raised too high. This is an expression of pride on the countenance. You know, we talk about, he looks down his nose at somebody. And to do that, your eyes are lifted high. There's that picture. It's on our countenance, how pride comes out. It's an overinflated confidence in ourselves. It's a sense of superiority over other people. We assume we can find um, peace in being superior or better to other people. We've all experienced something like we're going through life and someone is recognized as doing something better than us. Now, at that moment, when someone you're close to or someone in your presence, a colleague, family member, is recognized and praised for something you wish you were recognized and praised for, does your heart get flooded with peace? It doesn't, does it? Turmoil enters in. Why? Because we want to be the one who's at the top. We think peace comes from being at the top and being better than everyone else. Now, this is kind of interesting. King David is saying this. Is there anyone, at, anyone above him in the tree of power in Israel? The pyramid of power. No. Of prominence? Of prestige? Of wealth? No, he's at the top of the pyramid. And he says, I do not look down upon others. My eyes are not raised up. In arrogance. But he moves on and he considers another aspect of pride. He says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Here I think David is addressing the human tendency to be busy trying to accomplish things. We're busy, frenetic in our activity, trying to create a context of peace. Again, I think it's interesting that the king would make this comment. He's great. He's supposed to do kingly things. 
And, and I wonder if King David is uniquely tempted to pride in this regard. He has at his disposal power over people, power over resources to do things, to accomplish greatness. There's not much, if he set his mind to, that maybe he couldn't pursue in his longing for peace. Whether you're the King David, or whether you're a toddler playing with Lego, you want to control your environment. We think the path to satisfaction and peace comes in controlling our environment. Control our spouse, our children, our friends, issues in our workplace. We think peace lies in control. We lay awake at night. Our mind's busy creating scenarios. If I could do this and they did that, I'd respond that way and we could make this happen. And then if all that would work out, it'd be wonderful. But King David says the nature of pride, of pursuing or occupying himself with things too great and too marvelous is the antithesis of the path to peace. Think of Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of the Lord. We're not to be pursuing the things that are too great, too marvelous, above the place that we have in God's world. So we see here, as we read the way David is speaking, we we see something of what his emotional context was, and and we see something of the nature of pride and how it opposes peace. So let's look more particularly from, as it were, reading behind the statements he made. To see what it is where David here is renunciating pride. Renunciation of pride is the path to peace. We can't get peace through pride. That's our human instinct. The pursuits of pride. We can't do it, but instead where does peace lie? It lies in renouncing pride and hoping in the Lord. And that's why, as I said earlier, David begins here, O Lord, there's the ultimate reference, I am not you, I come to you as God, O Lord, Yahweh, my heart is not lifted up because I see myself in relationship to you. My eyes are not raised too high because we are all creatures made in your image. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, For you have given me my place, the place of limitation, the place of specific responsibility. And that is the place we should understand where we should function. So David is renouncing here, pride. He's renouncing belief in himself. He's renouncing trust in himself, hope in self. And so he humbles himself before God. There's a connection here. A profound and fundamental connection between humility and peace. We see this theme throughout Scripture. Maybe a verse you're familiar with, Isaiah 26.3. You keep him in perfect peace 
whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. See the heart of trusting humility, resting on God, trusting in God, submitted to God. And with this, that attitude of trust and humility to God, we enjoy the protecting perfect peace from God. James 4.6, another familiar passage maybe to many of you. God opposes the proud. He sets himself against the proud. But what? He gives grace to the humble. He extends grace to the humble. One other passage I want to turn to, and that's 1 Peter 5. Turn, if you would, in your, in your Bibles to 1 Peter 5 and verse 6. Where, where we see, again, this linking between anxiety and pride. Or we, may, we might say between humility and peace. 1 Peter 5 and verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. There's, the, there's a theological perspective. That's the foundation for the next phrase, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Notice the progression there, the, the, the theological connection, the heart progression, humble yourselves, cast all your anxieties on him. It's the same progression that we see in Psalm 131, isn't it? Humble your hearts, Cast your anxieties on the Lord. So the path to peace is through humility. But what exactly does this process look like? So I want to go back to Psalm 131, verse 2. And I want you to pay particular attention to the wording here. I want you to notice the faith-filled, definitive action of David. Verse 2. But I have... Calmed and quieted my soul. David is not passive. He's not passively submitting to the emotional experience of fear and anxiety and turmoil. He's not passively waiting for God just to take, the, take it away. No, he's, he's actively working against pride and pursuing peace. I have. And in the Hebrew, there's a sense of... Um, promise of commitment. It conveys a a strong resolve in David here. He is actively working against pride, actively pursuing peace. And so he says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. He has done this. These words, calmed and quieted. What is it that he has accomplished? What is it that he has done? Well, here is it's I'm calmed and quieted, we might translate smooth and still. In my mind, as I think of these words, I think of calm, the stillness of water after a storm, or the stillness of water in a pot that was once boiling, the, the stillness or silence, in contrast to maybe a a busy city scene with sirens blaring and car horns honking. We might think of the, the stillness or the silence 
of a quiet morning by the lake as the sun rises. It's the picture that David has here. I, he says, I've engaged my heart. I've addressed my pride. And where once there was turmoil, there was, there was anxiousness, there was a storm in my soul. It was loud. Now it's calm. Now it's quiet. He's active in this resistance of pride. He is active in this seeking of peace. And what a, what a beautiful picture here he gives of, of what was happening. The middle part of verse 2, like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. What's the picture here? What's, what's David doing here with this image? Well, a weaned child, as, um, as we understand uh, the Old Testament, um, probably is speaking of a child... After three, so referring to what we might call a toddler. And, and so there's this picture here of a toddler sitting on a mother's lap, like a weaned child, like a toddler with its mother. There's a picture here of, of contentedness, of calmness of the toddler. We, we might think of a number of scenarios, but um, toddlers get into trouble easily, don't they? They go exploring, and they hurt themselves, they cry, they look to their mother, and, and now the picture is the distress of a toddler crying, and then now the whimpering has stopped, and there's a toddler just sitting calmly on the mother's knee, resting in the comfort that the toddler has drawn from the mother. So here David pictures his soul. Here's a picture. My soul was like a troubled toddler. And I welcomed it up. And like a mother with a toddler, I calmed down my soul. I quieted that anxiety and that turmoil down. And so now my soul within me is like this toddler that has come on its mother's lap. How did he do that? How was it, as it were, how did he grab hold of this distressed soul and bring it onto the lap to come? Well, he addresses it, doesn't he? He says, I have done this. I have engaged my soul there's similar language throughout the Psalms here of, of the psalmist addressing his soul, engaging with his soul, as we're talking to his soul, doing things, calming the soul. Psalm 42, 5 would be one of those. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Here's this kind of conversation. And we can all resonate with that. We can have emotion and we can go, why am I having this emotion? We can be in turmoil and we can say, I don't like this turmoil. There's something about the constitution of our humanity. God has created us, as it were, to be reflective on our experience. To ask ourselves, our soul, why are you disquieted? In Psalm 42.5, the psalmist goes on to say, in response to the question, Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my soul 
and my God. So here, in, in the Psalms in general, in Scripture in general, but here in the Psalm, in Psalm 131, so we, we see here a necessary principle for spiritual maturity. We're not to passively respond to our emotions. We're not to, as it were, to submit or be controlled by the, the deep turmoil that can be in our souls. Rather, we are to address our souls. We're to calm our souls. See, David's not being controlled by the turbulence of his soul. But with faithful initiative and action, he addresses his soul. He quietens down his soul. As I was thinking about the imagery here of um, this wean child with its mother, and I was thinking about the dynamics of our souls when we're in turmoil and anguish, we, we long to have the absence of that anguish, But there's something about the anguish which seems out of our control or unreasonable. And I was thinking about so often when a toddler is in distress, when you first reach out to them to pick them up, they don't relax into the hold right away. Sometimes they'll fight, right? In their distress or in their anxiety, they resist, kind of push against. I'm like, why does a toddler do that? Why do we do that? I, I think we need to be aware of this sinful inclination of our hearts that not only pursues pride, but, but, but resists the initial engagement we have. Why are you cast down? Why are you not see, having the peace that is in Christ? And there's something in our hearts that holds on to the pride. But what are we to do? We need to address our souls. Engage our souls. It's not intuitive. It's not easy. It's the fight of faith. It's the spirit against the flesh. We are battling the flesh as we battle pride for a peace that surpasses all understanding. But it's not a battle that is fruitless. It's not a battle that we do on our own. It's not a battle that has the ultimate focus on us accomplishing something. But it's a battle that we engage in with our hope in God. For what he has done. For what he will do through Christ by his spirit. And so we are to confront our souls. We are to speak to our souls. We are to calm our souls. How? As we in humility look to God. And so as we think about the obstacle to peace, which is pride, and the path to peace, which is renunciation of pride, and to this beautiful picture of the experience of peace, I want us to look to verse 3, where we see this encouragement. It's an encouragement from the psalmist to all the people of God. I think it's, a, it's an encouragement to himself to keep pursuing this peace. So David calls out, O Israel, people of God, hope in the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore. I can imagine David here. For whatever was troubling his life, whatever turmoil he was in, for whatever process was necessary for him to engage in pride, as it were, to wrestle the toddler 
to calmness and to peace and to stillness. And he, and he experiences the blessing of hoping in the Lord. And he says, oh, that's good. I have the peace of God. Oh, if only I could stay right here. If only I could stay in this place of peace and never be upset again. Keep hoping in the Lord, David. He speaks to himself. And here's the call to the people of God. Keep hoping in the Lord. But even David could not consistently live up to this ideal, could he? This wouldn't be the last time his soul would be caught up in turmoil. It would not be the last time he would be tempted and would be puffed up in pride. But Jesus, the perfect son of David, did perfectly live up to this ideal. Jesus, the perfect son of David, was perfectly humble. His heart was never lifted up in pride. He persistently had the enduring peace of the Father. In perfect humility, the Son of God entered into creation, taking on human flesh, humbling himself, being obedient even to the point of death, a death on the cross. And he endured the suffering, he endured the shame. Why? Because his hope was in the Lord. He looked forward to the joy that was set before him in glorification. So now, our hope in Christ is a hope that depends on the fact that Christ was perfect and faithful in his obedience. And it's a hope in Christ who has rescued us from the penalty and power of sin. It's a hope in Christ who has given us the spirit that we might put to death our prideful inclinations. And that we might experience that peace that comes from the spirit that surpasses all understanding. This truth of Psalm 131 um, reverberates through scripture in a number of places but particularly through Philippians 4. And I'd just like to, uh, for us to turn, in conclusion, to Philippians 4. To hear the Apostle Paul speak the same truth, I want you to hear how the wisdom that we have of the Lord through David in Psalm 131 is here in Philippians 4. Philippians 4, verse 4 I'm just going to read these few verses and just make a few comments. Here's the command. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus. Paul begins. Rejoice in the Lord always. May your joy be founded in Christ. Your redeemer. May your joy be in Christ. Through whom you are adopted. And you can call God. Your heavenly father. Rejoice in the Lord. 
Because in him you have a hope of his sure return. Verse 5. The Lord is at hand. There's, there's the expectation. There's the orientation of hope in the Lord. But notice also the command not to be anxious. Do not be anxious. Calm and quieten your souls. And with this in mind, we humbly go to our Heavenly Father in prayer, with thanksgiving, confident that, be, that through Christ, as we approach the throne of God, He's ready to give grace at every moment of need. And so we experience the peace of God through the Spirit, a peace that surpasses all understanding. And so our minds Our hearts are guarded in Christ Jesus. In the life of Christ, in the ministry of Christ, he shields us as we humbly walk before him, trusting in him, walking in the peace he gives. And as we do that, we experience protection and guarding against dangers and temptations. As King David says at the end of Psalm 31, people of God, hope in the Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father,